You can grab a seat. Maybe you're like me. Um, I've noticed for the majority of my life that I have a problem and I have uh, a pace problem. I have a pace problem. Uh, my wife and I go on walks. We've been married for 23 years. We go on walks and inevitably I find myself like way in front of her and like she's behind me. And because we've been you know, like married so long, she's not going to be like, oh, I'll catch up to you. She's just like, I'll just wait. I'll just wait for you to slow down. And so I'll, you know, I'll be talking and I'll realize, oh, and then I'll back up. And I do this over and over and over again. And I, and I realize that that's actually spiritually how I've been living as well. Like most of my life has just been outpacing God. Like what God is interested in is this relationship with me, this union, the abiding love. And what I end up doing is like, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go. You get And he's like, no, no, I just want you to be, I want you to be with me. I want you to slow down and I want you to be with me. That's what I want. But so often we don't do that, do we? Let's continue to be busier and busier, go and go and do and do. And the Psalms is inviting us into something. There's this little word, it's called selah. It's a really hard word to translate. Many people have tried to translate it and they can't really figure it out. But the idea behind it is that the choir master gets up and he's like leading in a song. And then all of a sudden he kind of steps back and he just allows for a pause. Uh, Selah. The way the Septuagint, which is the earliest translation, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the way they uh, describe that word or translate that word, I really love, it's in intercession. It's this moment in which we, uh, we kind of slow down. It's this intermission that, we in, that God invites us into. It's an intermission into what it means to actually worship and be present with the Lord. And I think that's what he's inviting us into today, and not only today, but for the rest of our lives. And, and I wonder if you need an intermission. It leads to an intercession for the way you live your life. Because what he's inviting us into is an intermission to our worship so that we can be reminded who we are. We slow down and we understand who he is. There's this passage in scripture, scripture that's been pretty foundational for me over the last few years. In fact, it was on our laundry room wall. You ever do that? Laundry room wall as we're walking into the garage out to the car to leave. And it's this passage in Psalms 27, 14. It says this, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Uh, I've been in counseling for almost four years now as a part of just trying to find wholeness and dealing with some trauma and stuff in the past. And uh, about two years into that process, my son was at Grand Canyon, still is at Grand Canyon, but he was his freshman year, he came home and we went for a walk. And I just, in an in a opportunity to be vulnerable with my son, just said, hey, tell me where I screwed up. Like, tell me, tell me everything. Like, maybe if I did some good stuff, throw some of that stuff in there too. That'd be great. But, like, really, I want to give you an opportunity to really tell me how I could have done better. And he, he went on for about an hour because I'm that good of a dad. Um, uh, but one of the things he said that was really impactful for me was this. He said, you know, there was always something more important than me. Like, you just weren't present. You were here. 
with me. But you were constantly thinking about, you know, the next job opportunity, the next sermon, or the next event, or the next trip to India, or Africa, or wherever else around the world, or the next thing you had to go to, or the next thing you wanted to create, but there I was, right in your midst. Humbling, right? But isn't that how most of us are living our lives? Like the Lord's like, I just want, I want you to be here with me. Wait with me. And that idea of waiting is actually for us very confrontational, right? Because everything in our culture says go, 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 do, do, do. Produce, produce, produce. And here we're being called to wait. The way that Eugene Peterson translates that is stay with God. Stay with God. Don't outpace. Stay with God. And I started processing through that word, wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. And I couldn't help but think of Patty when she was pregnant, my wife when she was pregnant, about how she has this thing in growing inside of her, and she has to wait. It's painful though, right? I, so I've heard. Uh, like, it's, it's hard, but it's growing inside, and the worst thing you wanna do is try to get that thing out quicker. No, 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 you wanna wait. Wait for this miraculous, mysterious work to be done inside of your body, and then your body starts growing. It's anticipating this thing that you've been waiting for. This is what the Lord is inviting us into. This idea of waiting, waiting is being pregnant with God, what God will do and wants to do, but are you willing to wait with him? Are you willing to make it about him? And a mom patiently waits for the child, endures. And I think so often waiting is painful. It really is, but it's beautiful if you go through that process. Pregnancy is so painful, but so beautiful. So beautiful. New life. I think the other thing is that waiting also builds anticipation. There's this excitement. That's why kids love Christmas, right? They love Christmas because something's coming. This is the idea of waiting and believing in faith that God is doing something. And he has you in mind, of course, but he wants you to be with him in the waiting, in anticipating whatever miraculous thing you've been praying for or desiring for or hoping for. He wants to be with you in that thing. Waiting builds anticipation, but more importantly, waiting is the way of the Lord. It's the way of the Lord. This is how he does things. This passage in 2 Peter 3.8 says this, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. I hate this passage. I, I don't like this passage at all, but the context is very important. The context is all these people have converted to the way, to, to following Jesus. And as a result of that, they're being persecuted by their families, by their communities. They're being ostracized. And they've heard and they believe in the promise that the Messiah will return. And so they come to Peter, Pastor Peter, and they're like, hey, he's got to come now because I'm like over this. I'm over the pain, I'm over the hurt, I'm over the doubt, I'm over the discouragement, I'm over it. When's he coming back? And Peter's pastoral work over that congregation, as in David's pastoral work over this congregation, says this, wait. 
Do you believe he's doing something? Wait with him. Be with him in that waiting. Find him. He's here. He's near. His promises are true. But we're out, always outpacing, and it's the reason why so, for so many of us we're out of peace. We're out of peace because we're out of pace with God. Come back to his presence. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Because when we actively wait, we rest in his will, in his way, and in his time. And guess who gets the glory? He does. Not you, not me. That's the beauty of what we're being invited into. I've been going through this idea in my head over and over the last few weeks of Jericho, of Joshua at Jericho waiting as they walk around, being mocked, waiting, anticipating that God is going to do a miraculous work. And when God does, Joshua doesn't get the glory. God does. That's the plan. And he's inviting you into that. And so we're going to take the next bit of time here and learn to wait, rest. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I'll give you rest for your souls. And I would imagine in this room, there's a lot of weighty souls. They're trying to outpace where God wants them to be. What he wants is for you to be with him. Wait for the Lord. So I would encourage you, through the reading of God's word, through worship, and through silence, that we would learn that rhythm this morning. And not just keep it at this morning, but carry it throughout our lives. It will not solve your problems. It will not make it easier. But you will be in pace with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you will find rest for your souls. Selah. So eight years ago, um, uh, my son, some of you know the story, but it was diagnosed with leukemia, and um, lots of things happened during that time. I don't remember a ton. Um, there have these like little like signpost moments throughout that experience that were pretty overwhelming, and uh, the one was really early on. The first, you know, six months of treatment are really, really hard, and uh, so at this point, you know, we're spending a decent amount of time in the hospital. He's taking chemo, and chemo is both taking away all the bad, but it also gets rid of all the good. So your body just starts to kind of deteriorate in some ways, you know? And so his hair falls out and he's a bit emaciated and he's laying in bed and, and he says uh, to me, and, and by the way, like I'm at this point, like I'm, I'm angry. I'm not like happy. Like God and I, we had a deal. You, you ever make a deal with God? I'm sure none of you have. Okay, it's only me. Okay, cool. So. Um, and, and the deal wasn't working out. So I'm pretty upset. So I'm sitting on the bed with him, and, and he just said, you know, Dad, like God and I are going to beat this. What a paradox. Pain and praise. Pain and praise. 
And the next part of the passage goes, wait for the Lord, be strong, right? And we're, at, we're like, yes, finally, something I can do. Like, give me a plan, give me the steps, I get to go after it because I hate this feeling of weakness, so tell me something that I can do to make me strong. It's like, no, 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 actually the paradox is, is that weakness is the strength. Dependency on the Lord completely is where you find the strength. The weakness is the weapon. It's the thing he's wanting to invite you into. And we resist that. Our culture resists that. They wanna tell you all that you can do and how strong and powerful that you can be and actually all the truth lives inside of you and it is a false doctrine that is rotting the souls of all of humanity. The paradox starts opening our eyes to complete and utter dependency upon God who is the giver and the taker of life. He is the sustainer of all things, not just you and me. So this is where in the scriptures, paradox starts to frame the way in which we follow. Because you know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And we're like, I don't even know what to do with that. And if we're honest, so often we approach God and go, give me the answer, give me the solution. And here's what I find really interesting. Oftentimes he doesn't. How merciful. How merciful. Because we want the saving without the savior, right? We want the solution without the savior. So we want him to give us that strategy, give us that solution. But if he does that, it neglects our dependence upon him, right? He's most interested in relationship, in you depending on on him. Paul, Pastor Paul comes to understand this fully. Now, if you can imagine with me, anyone who deserves a, like a throw a brother a bone, it would be Paul, right? Like Paul has been persecuted. He's been shipwrecked. He's been thrown in prison. He's been beaten within an inch of his life. And he just simply goes to God and goes, Hey, I got this thorn in my side. Could you help me out? And in a passage that so many of us know, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 8, Paul says, but he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, whose power? God's power. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. What, how, wouldn't that be an interesting shift in our culture, in our churches, if we went around and said, let me tell you why I'm weak. If somebody asked how your Devo life was going, like, yeah, that's great. Let me tell you where I'm weak. Like that began some kind of beautiful propaganda where Christians start talking about their weaknesses instead of everything that we've got going on and what team you're on and who's winning and who's losing. It's like, no, it's our weakness. So Paul finally gets this. He says, listen, Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ, listen, we all want the power, right? We all want the power of Christ, but we need it in the presence of Christ. The power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness. Breathe this in. I am content with my weakness. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
wait for the Lord and be strong. David is writing this in the context of immense amount of persecution in his life. Rejection by friends and family. And essentially what David's going is, hey, I get you. I get what you're going through. Wait for the Lord. Be strong by being weak. Find the presence of God. Find the presence of God in your weaknesses. And he will get the glory. Rest in this truth. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be weak. Because when we finally come to a place of weakness, we stop doing this and we start doing this. Selah. Take this moment. Rest in this truth. So the disciples are are in this boat and it, they're in the midst of a storm and, and the interesting thing is they had just got done with some really serious awesome ministry stuff right feeding a bunch of people Jesus sends them away and Jesus goes off to pray and so you can kind of imagine they're exhausted and tired and now all of a sudden the storm the storm comes out of nowhere and maybe you know what that feels like you know maybe you know what it feels like to just be like I feel like I'm giving it my all and now this you know it's like a storm it's overwhelming. And uh, Jesus comes to them, but of course they're intimidated and their eyes are focused on the wrong things. Uh, but he comes to them. He comes to them with a very, very, very simple truth. Uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 14, verse 27, it says this, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I Fear not. Take heart. It is I. Fear not. David says to us, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. What Jesus is saying and what David's trying to help us understand is this. What Jesus is saying in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the confusion, the overwhelming feelings that we tend to go through in the situations that we find our lives in, here's what take heart means. Relax. Relax. Jesus is counsel to the disciples in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this chaos, is relax. It's me, Jesus. He's always going to direct us to himself. That this relationship that we all, many of us say in here that we have, it is the most important thing. But we got to relax because all around us, we're, we're freaking out, right? In fact, what's so interesting to me is that our culture is propagating fear. They are making billions of dollars off of feeding you fear. Fear of death, fear of politicians, fear of governments, fear of diseases, fear, fear, fear. And Jesus comes to you and I in the midst of that and says, Relax. 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 Take heart. Take heart. It's me. The disciples had taken their eyes off of Jesus and they had surrounded it by their circumstances. He's realigning them. 
take heart. Do you really believe that I am who I say I am and that I can do what I say I can do? That is a question we must deal with. That is something that the Spirit of God should be convicting your heart at right now in this moment. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just this thing that we kind of celebrate once a week as we come together? Or as Paul's come to understand, no, it's this crucified life where I find resurrection life. I'm crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. I live for Jesus. And guess what that impacts? It impacts the way I see the storms. It impacts the way I see what's propagated in our culture. And I do not need to be afraid because he is with me. He will never forsake me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He sees you right where you are. He is hurting with you. He is grieving with you. He is not some agnostic figure in the sky in a rocking chair. He's present with you in your pain. He is present with the disciples in the storm. But we have to see him there. We have to be with him there. Wait for the Lord. Be strong in your weakness. And relax that Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And what does Peter do in response to this simple, beautiful gospel message? He goes to the edge of the boat and he worships him with his focus. He worships him on the edge of this boat. And you can hear the voices, right? Don't do this, this is crazy. What's wrong with you? You can actually hear the disciples behind him, right? Like how ridiculous, what a fool, he's gonna drown. You can hear the voices in Peter's head, can't you? Because they're the voices that are in your head. Every time you wanna move forward into in faith, believing he's gonna hurt you, he's gonna abandon you just like everybody else in your life. Don't put your trust there. Continue to put your trust in all these other earthly things. Don't put your trust there. He's gonna leave you like your father. He's gonna abandon you like your mother. He's gonna hurt you like that loved one hurt you. But Peter is focused on Jesus. He defies physics that are rooted in human knowledge and science. And Jesus just goes, keep following me. Keep focusing on me. We need to refocus ourselves. Because our worship starts not with walking on the water, but simply submitting your weakness, your humanity to the one who can call you out onto the water. He's inviting you out there, but he has to be your focus. And I know it's scary and I know it's hard and I've been there and I'm with you. But the way we're doing things now, would you agree this isn't working? This isn't working. We're worshiping the wrong things. And he's welcoming us out. And he's saying, relax. Trust me. Fear not. Rest.
in the Selah moment that your Savior sees you, he's with you. Right now, imagine his arm around you going, I got you, trust me, trust me. Uh, there's a reoccurring theme in scripture. Um, it's repetition. I think it's so graceful that God would do that, grace-filled that God would do that. He, all throughout the canon of scripture, he repeats things over and over. He doubles down on truth for us. And David does this. David says, wait for the Lord, be strong. And then he repeats, wait for the Lord. As if to say to all of humanity, I know you're going to struggle with this. David is going, I have struggled this. I am struggling with this. But I have to remind myself, anytime in scripture you see something repeated, just go, he's trying to get our chins up, to see him, to see the truth that he is speaking and teaching over us. And so often our thoughts and our minds are tethered to this earth, the worries, the pains, the disappointments. And when so scripture awakens us by repeating things, it's getting our chins up. And this idea of waiting for the Lord is this moment in which our souls can say, yes, Lord. And Jesus all throughout his time, his ministry is living into this passage, living into the Lord's timing in his life. He waits 30 years before he starts his earthly ministry. And I find it ironic that after those 30 years, he immediately goes into the desert to be tempted. That makes no sense to me. I'm like, what a waste of time, right? We got stuff to do, but he's not in a hurry. And then in this moment, in this upper, he has this upper room discourse where he's letting the disciples know, and then we have this moment where he, he goes away in the garden, and he's like, Take this away. It's too hard. I need strength. And what he does is he invites God to do what God said he was going to do through him, and he submits his heart to it. And he says, not my will, not my strength, not my desires, but yours be done. Yours be done. I want your will more than anything else. And as he hangs on the cross for the sins of all humanity, Take heart, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet knowing that his father was going to be faithful to do what he says he's going to do. And as he's in the tomb, pregnant with anticipation of resurrection Sunday, right? You can almost hear the party that's happening in the pregnancy of that tomb. As he comes forward, in the favor of God, in resurrection, that he stops down all that we believe as humanity as the worst, he redeems that. He redeems death to bring life and life to the full who those who would confess him as Lord and Savior. And as Ephesians said, it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of your strength or your power or your wisdom or your strength. It's a free gift. It's a free gift that Jesus offers to us. And so when we come to these moments of communion, we remember all that he's done, who he is. 
And I find it so beautiful that 2,000 years later, this thing that Jesus gave to us, this remembrance, what a gift. We need to remember. We need to remember him. So the bread, his body, broken. Isn't it interesting that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified, to be weak, so that he could resurrect in strength? Let's praise him and thank him as we take the bread. The cup, blood, blood is the source of life, flows through our veins. It's what creates warmth in our body. Jesus poured that out to rescue us. He was that propitiation for the sin. We were enemies of God, but because that he who knew no sin became sin, we now stand before God washed in the blood of the lamb. I want you to know this. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress because Jesus' blood, his death, on the cross has washed you clean and you stand holy before the Lord God Almighty because of all that he's done, not because of what you've done. Take this in remembrance of all that he's done for us. of God, you inspired the psalmist to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. This morning we taste and we see you high and lifted up. We join all of creation in worship. We thank you that it's not by our will but it's this free gift that you've given to us. And we want to live into that gift. Convict our heart, Spirit. Continue to lead and to guide us into you, your truth for your glory. We need you. Protect us from the evil one who wants to distract us, crush us, make a mockery of us. I pray for the hurts and the pains in this room. You know each and every one. You have their hairs numbered and so their pains are not something that offends you. You're with them in their hurts, their pains, their doubts, our doubts, our pains, our hurts. We wait on you. Teach us to be weak. Teach us to relax and wait on you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, everybody said,